Good morning, church. Hey, thanks for being here today. It's always a, a pleasure to be with you on the first day of the week to celebrate our risen Savior together. And uh, it's an exciting time to be together to encourage one another on the journey to look into the Word of God and to feel God's presence, His Spirit, right here with us uh, as we lift His name on high, as we gather around the table together, as we look into the Word to see what the Spirit will reveal to us uh, today. And I know we've got some guests here today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our assembly. Our hope is that you have seen Christ in our midst and uh, that you'll join us in telling the story of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ all over Grand Prairie, the metro, and around the world. There's lots of ways to get plugged in and use your gift set for God's glory. We hope that you'll make sure and do that. Get involved in the game, get off the sideline, and be a part of what God is doing in the world. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning, and so I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there momentarily. All of our text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when I do uh, get there. We're going to start a brand new series uh, today. We're going to talk about how to be a neighbor. Howdy, neighbor is the series. Can you say that back to me? Howdy, neighbor. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're living this month, that we're living out in a way that the Bible reveals we should be neighborly. How do we interact with those folks around us that may be a little different than us, that maybe have a different spot in life right now uh, than we do? We want to positively interact because we're called to be very different than the world around us. And so we want to live that type of life like our theme states that we realize God's enough for us and that Jesus Christ has done enough for us. And because the love he's lavished on us, we want to hand that love on out to those uh, around us. Because at the end of the day, we're called as the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're called to be Jesus to those around us, whether in our neighborhood, our workplace, with our friends, family, wherever we find ourselves that we're supposed to take the high road. We're supposed to be different than the world around us. And uh, as we move through this month and we talk about how to be neighborly, we're going to take four weeks to do that and look at different avenues to do that. Today we're going to kick things off by talking about racism. We want to talk about how the Bible addresses how do we interact with other cultures, with people who may be a little different than us, believe a little different than us, uh, live a little different than us, maybe have a different skin color than we do. How does the Bible call us to interact as a unified body of believers in a world that is trying to tear all of what God's doing down? Uh, we want to live into that in the most powerful possible way. Our text this morning starts off right away with uh, an expert in the law coming to Jesus. Now, this is the best of the best. This is a guy who, who knows uh, the, the Hebrew Bible backwards and forwards, who keeps all the commandments, who knows everything there is to know about who God is. And yet, he approaches Jesus, the rabbi, the Messiah that's come, and he says, hey, I want to make sure and get to heaven. What do I need to do? Now, I paraphrase that, but we have that question in our life as well, right? As we interact with God, as we live that lifestyle out, we also want to know what makes me right with God. How can I be assured of my salvation? What type of life do I need to live? And Jesus asked him, what does Moses say about that? And so he quotes a text that I'm going to tease out the, the rest of the year, and it's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just as weighty. It is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right on target. 
That's exactly the type of life that we should be about. It's not a a checklist, but it's about loving God and loving people. And then the expert in the law takes it one step further, and he says, well, tell me, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor in verse 29? That's the question that we want to answer today. Who is my neighbor? I mean, am I, I, I'm called to love people, surely, but do I need to love people who have a different skin color than I do? Do I need to love people who attend a different denomination than I do? Do I need to love people who have a different size bank account than I do? Do I need to love people who choose a different lifestyle than I do? Do I need to love on people who live in a different part of town and whose kids will not really ever play with my kids? Do I need to love those people? And the list goes on and on. How are we called to love our neighbor? And Jesus shows us not who, but how to love our neighbor. The story that he sets up, Jesus in our text, will be there momentarily. He says there's this merchant who is selling his wares. He's got some things that he creates and sells. And so he lives in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is up in the mountains, and he's going to Jericho. Jericho is in the plains. And so he comes down from the mountain, going to Jericho. And so he's traveling through the mountain passes, and he gets into trouble along the way. This is a story that you have heard before, no doubt. But hopefully today we'll unpack some nuances maybe that you haven't seen before, some things, some things that maybe you haven't really thought about. And Jesus says in verse 30, Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. But chance, by chance a priest came along But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant also walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, what we've got here at the beginning of the story is an interesting scenario. You've got a guy who is a Jewish man. He's been beat up, he's bleeding, he's laying in the side of the ditch, and you've got two other Jewish men separately come along at different times and see the man there but choose not to help out. They move to the other side of the road and are traveling on to uh, Jericho or Jerusalem, whichever way that they're moving. Now, we've got to give these guys some level of leniency because they do work at the temple. They have certain rules and regulations that they have to adhere to as men of God who work at the temple. For instance, if they were to go help this man who clearly has open wounds, he's bleeding, if they touch him, they become ceremonially unclean, and then they have to wait a certain period of time before they can be okay to go back to the temple and be a part of the worship process. And so we we can kind of see that in the process and in their thinking, so to speak. But then in our text, Jesus says three jaw-dropping words. He uses the S word. When our boys were growing up, you didn't say the S word. Shut up at my house. Didn't do that. (laughs) Jesus says the S word. And you would have heard an audible gasp in the audience that was listening to him tell this story. You would have heard murmuring. You would have heard whispering. Are you kidding? You brought that name up? You're talking about that person? Well, that's ludicrous. 
They're not even worth our time of day. Why would you even bring that person into this story? They're they're not worth talking about. Scum. We hate those people. And Jesus starts out in verse 33 and he says, but a Samaritan. Oh, you had to bring the Samaritans into the story. Why do the Jews and the Samaritans hate one another? Why do they hate? How long has this been going on? Well, it goes all the way back to the the Pentateuch. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, there are multiple places that God mentions this. But as the Israelites leave Egypt and they're wandering for 40 years in the desert, uh, they're laying down all of the treaties, all of the laws that God wants them to hold as a nation. And God repeatedly tells them that when you get to the promised land, when you get to the land of Canaan, you need to drive out all of the peoples, the clans that live there. This is the land that I've promised you. And he goes on to say, don't let your people intermarry with the local people. Why? Not because of racism, but because they're going to pull you away from worshiping me. They're going to get you involved in idol worship. They're going to get you involved in a different type of life than I've called you to. So don't intermarry when you get to the promised land. Now let's fast forward to 720 B.C. There is Judah in the south and the ten tribes, Israel, in the north. They pay homage, the Israelites do, to a country called Assyria. They pay taxes. And they get to a point where they say, we're not paying taxes to you anymore. We're not giving you anything else. And so... In 720, Assyria has come down, has attacked the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, and taken them away into captivity. And in history, we never hear from Israel again. They're absorbed into that community, into that society. But any time a conquering nation comes in, they don't take everybody away. They, take, they, they leave behind a, a remnant of the local people. Why? In order to farm the land, in order to make sure the vineyards produce grapes and wine in order to make sure the olive groves produce. It becomes an agricultural center for the conquering nation. And so they leave that remnant there, and over time, that remnant that belonged to God began to intermarry with those local people. Judah, the southern two tribes, know all of this history, and they segregate that group of people outside of the scope of God's love and their own inclusion and love the samaritans they're they're not good people we don't need to have anything to do with samaria anybody that lives up there we hate one another and this love had fallen away and this hate war had existed for some 700 years it was a long time and you know human nature it's the way we are at times in our own life Well, if you hate me, then I'm going to hate you back. And I'm going to hate you even more to prove to you you should never have hated me in the first place. That's how we act, isn't it? Same thing. And that escalated until finally they were no longer people. They were were things. We, We don't even want to talk about them. I'm not even going to walk on the dirt in their town. Jews hated Samaritans. So for Jesus to make his point, he begins in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along 
And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll be back the next time I'm here to take care of that bill. Samaritan? Compassionate toward someone who hates me? You see, the first two Jews that walked down that road and saw him in the ditch, they're the same nationality, the same person, essentially. But they've got one question to ask, and their question is, if I go over there, what will happen to me? The Samaritan comes along, and he says, what will happen to him if I don't go over there? Two different angles on dealing with someone that's different than you. I love the quote Mother Teresa has, and she says, Do things for people not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of who you are. And we live in this reciprocal society, don't we? You hurt me, I'll hurt you. Rather, Jesus calls us to a different type of living. Over and above what the world would do. And this is the heart of the gospel message. It is the bottom line in everything that we do as God's people. Love God, love people, not a checklist. At the end of the day, it falls into these two categories. The greatest command is love God and love people. Not love white people or black people or Mexican-Americans. No, it's love people, even if they are different. And some would go as far to say, particularly if they are different, love on them. That's the type of life that we're called to in Jesus Christ. Dennis Leary said about his own child, he said, racism isn't born, it's taught. I have a two-year-old. You know what he hates? Naps. (laughs) It's got to be taught. Why do people become racist over, over time? I think you probably could fall into one of three categories. One is that we are the victim. I mean, maybe we have indeed been mistreated because of our skin color or our culture or where we come from. And we've been mistreated in that light. And so we have felt and experienced firsthand what that feels like. Maybe we've been taught that we should hate people. Oh, we don't hang out with those people. I would never buy a house in that part of town. Oh, my kids would never play over there. We're taught sometimes. Or thirdly, maybe it's just ignorance. It's a lack of knowledge and perspective. Maybe I just really don't know because I've never sat down and had a cup of coffee with someone that's a little different than me and asked some questions. Talk about what's your daily life like? What happens in the marketplace? What happens at work? What happens in your neighborhood? You see, as we look at texts and we read what God's called us to do, what we finally can fall on for sure, is that racism is not a skin issue. Racism is a sin issue. 
because we are all one in Christ. doesn't matter where we come from. The half-brother of Jesus, who is James, addresses this very thing. It's interesting, in James chapter 2 and verse 8, he brings up this very text about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then in verse 9, he says, But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. James wants to remind us, as followers of Jesus Christ, he didn't discriminate, and neither should we. Sometimes we get into that, that moment in life where we, we really love kind of the comfort of where we're at. I mean, I, I like you because you kind of look like me. I like you because we're in the same tax bracket. I like you because you act like me. I mean, my kids could play with your kids. We all are kind of okay together. But anytime we favor by exclusion to others, it is not how God has called us to live. So how are we called to love our neighbor? What is it as a follower of Christ that would make us different than the world around us? And I want to give you three things this morning that I think will help us move in that direction. The first one is that we would be honest and recognize our prejudices. To know that we do have some of that in our life, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how great we think that we've conquered that, there are some things in our life that we need to overcome. And sometimes it's difficult to look in the mirror. We can look in the mirror and ask that question and we think we look okay. Until we ask someone else and they give us the reality maybe of what they have seen from us or heard from us. I mean, what would, what would a definition of prejudice be anyway? It's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. It's the idea that I've maybe heard it on the news or heard my friends talking about it or read it somewhere, and so I just adopt that mentality without actually doing some investigation to see if that would be true. And so you and I have to be careful in our walk that we don't use blanket statements for all cultures or all skin color or all types of people. I mean, what, what are some prejudiced stereotypes that you and I may have heard throughout the course of any given day? Heavy people are lazy. Jews are misers with their money. Tattooed people are probably into the drug culture. Politicians are all crooked. I looked at Georgia just then. (laughs) Big church leaders are greedy. Old people are useless. Young people are self-absorbed. White guys can't jump. (laughs) Now, that last one might be true. It is... (laughs) You know, anytime we get into a discussion and we say something like, I am not racist, but nothing good comes after the word but. (laughs) We have to think about how we're interacting with the world around us. Are we living out the life God's called us to live? And it takes courage and integrity to stand up and face any form of racism to stand up and face those who would pigeonhole another group. 
And so I'm called in my own life, I believe, that, that I will try to seek to understand others out in the world. That, that I'm called as a follower of Christ to understand how others live and where they're at and how they are feeling in the moment. I mean, I do not understand everything that someone of a different race or culture or even gender must deal with in our country on a day-to-day basis. You know what I know for sure is Caucasian, middle-aged male grew up in the South. That's what I know. Anything outside of that, I need to seek to understand better where those folks are coming from, where their life has led them and what their experience has been. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, this third thing is absolutely necessary. I will love those different than me. That whatever it is, I will seek to love them beyond measure. In 1996, there was a girl by the name of Keisha Thomas who was at a uh, place where there was a a group of people who were gathered, uh, I think, on a campus at a university. Uh, She was present, African-American girl. It was a KKK rally, and uh, a fight broke out. And she did something that maybe some of us would think twice about. Let's watch. In 1996, the KKK was holding a meeting near the University of Michigan. Hundreds came out to protest, and that's when 18-year-old student Keisha Thomas made headlines. She used her own body as a human shield to protect a man wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt as he was being physically attacked by protesters. In 1998, I sat down with Keisha to talk about what that was like. Keisha says that uh, she, she risked her own life because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's the right thing to do. Weren't you afraid that they were going to then turn on you? I, I know you believe in angels, but mm-hmm. it felt like two angels had lifted my body up and laid me down. And mm-hmm. if you're covered by God, then you know, you do what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You don't worry about mm-hmm. anything else. And so was it sort of like an out-of-body angel experience for you? It was kind of like... Um, uh, for women that have kids, mm-hmm. when they see their kid in danger, mm-hmm. you don't think it's a natural reaction to kind of go in there and, uh-huh. you know, do what you got to do. But this wasn't your kid. This was no, a white was... man at a Klan rally right. wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt. Right. But he was, I mean, he was still a human being. It's been 20 years since that photo of Keisha became a Life magazine photo of the year. So we tracked her down to find out how that day impacted her life. When I was 18 and this whole incident happened and all of a sudden I'm in Life magazine I'm, and Oprah's calling it's, and I'm just a kid with an idea who at the moment did the right thing. I was overwhelmed and amazed. Now on the flip side of that coin, I got a lot of hate mail. And a lot of people still to this day hate me. I get death threats and they want me to die because they feel that what I've done is traded my race. I do believe that people were caught up in a rage and they would have killed this man. Just like a pack of wolves, people have taken on the mob mentality and the energy in that air was extremely violent. I have never felt more sure of what I was supposed to do than in that moment. A lot of people ask me, did I ever make contact? Did he ever say thank you? I never heard from this man again. But the interesting thing about that is I was downtown at a coffee house back in the day and a kid came up to me and said, hey, I want to say thanks. I said, thanks for what? 
He said, that was my dad. At the end of the day, this was somebody's father. I mean, who does that? Who lays down their life for someone else, even when they hate them, when they mean the worst things toward them? I'll tell you who does something like that, a Jesus follower. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live life out, to show love in incredible and powerful ways. I mean, what is racism anyway? Racism isn't just the presence of hatred, but it is the absence of love. And God is love. We're called to love those around us. We are humanity. We are more than white and black and Hispanic. We are created in the image of God. And we are called to love one another. What does Jesus say in John 13 as he gathers with his disciples in those final moments? He says, how will the world know that you are my followers? By the way that you love one another. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, this text, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we all were still sinners. There is no one above anybody else. Each and every one of us need God in our life. We need the cleansing power of Jesus' blood in our life. And we've got to lean into that love because it was so freely given to us, we pass that love on freely to those around us. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you were all one in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ We are unified as God's people. No matter our bank account, no matter our skin color, where we hailed from, it doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ. The Apostle John was caught up to experience the revelation, which is written at the very end of your Bible. And he says about the gathering there in chapter 7 of Revelation. He says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Notice that it wasn't my God, it is our God. Every nation, every skin color represented there in the throne room of God. That is how heaven is going to be. And then Paul finishes in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. He says, Jews and Gentiles are the same. In this respect, they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. No one is better than the next. That you and I are called into this great story of God to to love on everyone that we come in touch with. No matter how different our opinions and views might be, no matter how different our skin color might be, we are called to be one in Christ Jesus and love like we have been loved on. The truth is, in the story that we started with in Luke chapter 10, we look at that bloodied and mangled person lying in the ditch, and honestly, that's you and me. And the person that came to help us was Jesus Christ. 
we would not have survived had it not been the love of Christ in our life. But he's passed that on to us. He's healed us. He's gotten us to where we need to be. And so now it's our job and our story as we live out what God's called us to do, to pass that love on to those around us, to be excited about the life that we have in Christ, to share that hope and excitement with all those around us. And I know that you feel the same. You feel the Spirit moving in your life to do incredible things, maybe some things that you've never even thought of doing. As we live out this idea of howdy neighbor this month, and hopefully going forward more than just a month. I want you to look around. Maybe it's in your own life, maybe with your family, maybe coworkers. When you see someone doing something that is howdy neighbor worthy, that looks like someone being a loving neighbor, take a picture, take a note, post it somehow on social media with a hashtag howdy neighbor. And I want to see over this month how many of our Crosspoint family are living that idea out each and every day that we're looking for those positive elements in our life, who is living out the love of Christ in ways that we're called to live? I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time, and our elders and their wives will be gathered along the, the wall of this room. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to go to them for prayer, for comfort, that you would let them lay hands on you. That maybe there's something in your life, a barrier that's kept you from truly embracing everyone around you. Maybe there's some prejudice in your life that you know as you reflect, I need to move past that. Let them pray for you. Let them lay hands on you. Let God move in your life in mighty and powerful ways. He's waiting. He wants to use you. I know that you'll let him. Let's stand and sing together.